Welcome to the Far From Average podcast, where we speak about topics and interview people who are far from average, so you can take your business and take your life to the next level. I have an extremely special guest with us here today, West Coast Dave, very high-level entrepreneur, over 30-some Turo cars now, a couple of Airbnbs. We're going to get into how you guys can leverage different kinds of credit and get in the Turo space as well as the Airbnb space. But without further ado, West Coast Dave, how you doing, brother? What's up, man? It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you. Ready to give them the game right now. Yeah, man. And I know this one's going to be a banger for myself because we spoke a little bit about the rental car credit or the rental business credit before we even got started. But Before we get into that, I kind of want to take it back and figure out what is it that got you into this game of entrepreneurship? Man, it's been in me for a while. I actually have to give credit to my grandfather um, Uh because by the time I was in the sixth grade, I actually had already read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Dang. Yeah. So he he got me started. He... He's an entrepreneur. He's been in different things. You know, he got into sales too. We were both big believers in sales being a huge foundation to everything. Right. Um, but yeah, he got me into reading books early. And, you know, even at that age, I didn't really understand all the concepts of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I picked up some things that really helped me to this day to recognize opportunities. So that's how I started way back then. But then fast forward some, uh-huh. I, you know, had some traction and then I just kind of kept rolling with it. Well, what was your first business? Man, my first business, that's a good question. Because when I was young, when I lived in South Bend, still, I lived in uh, South Bend, Indiana. Most uh-huh. people know them for Notre Dame. Um, I might have been eight years old or so. Uh-huh. Me and my cousin and my sister were selling like some blow-up balloons. We were twisting them and making snowmen in the wintertime. Uh-huh. So we were going door-to-door selling those for a quarter, trying to make some money to buy candy. So <laughs> I would say pro- probably something like that. But then I got into uh, cutting grass with my grandfather. He got me into that, too, at an early age. Um, but my first legit business was yeah. an auto detailing business that I started while I was in college. Auto detailing during college. Now, when you got involved in that, did you, you said that you got introduced to entrepreneurship at the young, you said eight, right? Or six? Yeah, well, sixth grade. Sixth so grade. I don't know what age I was, but in sixth Probably grade. Probably like 10, 11. Probably. And you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. From that point, were you like, I don't ever want to work a job or you said the foundation of sales. Did you ever work a sales job? Give me a rundown of that. Yeah. So you know what? When I read that in sixth grade and just things my grandfather was telling me, I definitely had it in my mind that I was going to be super successful uh-huh. and, you know, have enough money, you know, be able to travel when I want, do whatever I want. But I thought it was going to happen a lot faster than oh. it did. Yeah. So I was like, okay, by the time I'm 20, I'm set. Like, <laughs> I, already, I already know what to do. Right. Yeah. But reality hit me hard. And I realized that things aren't as easy as what you think they're going to be right in, in most cases. Um, so it took me probably not twice as amount, uh, twice the amount of time, but at least one and a half times of right. what I thought it would. So, definitely. so I'm assuming you don't do the, the detailing business now, right? No. So, but with the detailing business that actually helped me a lot because I started that business. That was my first real experience, like working with, you know, customers, yeah. getting repeat business. Um, but I took that and I built it. And then when I moved to California, uh-huh. Um, that's when I got into consulting and helping other people get into auto detailing business. Uh-huh. So I helped them improve their business. So I did that for seven years, consulting and, and sales. That was sales and consulting. Oh, okay. So yeah. you're doing this for yourself? No, no. So I worked for a company doing this. So I was hired by a company when I moved to California, but uh-huh. all my experience, that's why they wanted me on their team. Oh, okay. I already had my own business doing this. So I, I went there, did that for seven years yeah. and man, I learned a whole lot. Yeah. And I got started in sales kind of like how we 
spoke before uh, before we, before the interview. How do you think? Do you think that gave you an advantage? Because I know a lot of people, they're so especially nowadays, no one wants to work. Right. Everyone wants to just go straight to being a six figure this, a six figure that. Do you think taking your time and building a skill set gave you an advantage to get you to where you are now? Yeah, building skill sets definitely give you a huge advantage. I always say this, I said this to my wife the other day. Everyone sees the end product of like me online, they see my lifestyle, they see all the different cars I have, right? Uh-huh. Some people might want that, right. but no one wants to really do what I do. And when I say that, no one wants to do what goes on behind the scenes. No uh-huh. one wants to build the skill sets, the, you know, the sales skills that you really need to go further in this industry or any industry at that. Right. So there's a lot of things you have to be consistent with. And sales, I recommend everyone do sales because I look at sales as like the foundation of any type of growth and success. It yeah. doesn't matter what it is. It could be a business. It could be in your job. It could yeah. be family life. Like sales is going to help you communicate better mm-hmm. and you're going to be able to, you know, get what you want, which sounds selfish, but you also can be selfless in the process of doing yeah. it. Yeah, because sales, I know a lot of people look at it as conv- just convincing someone, but I look at it as convincing someone who should do something to purchase something. So if you should get this car, you should get this package, then convincing them to do that, doing what's in their best interest. I know it has kind of like a negative connotation to it. Correct. Did you... Did you experience any of your family members or anybody in your close circle kind of against the road that you were going down? Well, the entrepreneur side, yeah, uh-huh. definitely, definitely, you know, adversity with that. People just didn't see it, you know, because they looked at it as risky. Like, yeah. Especially when I quit my job, like my mom was like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> so uh-huh. even going into sales, you know, it's all commission. I went into sales jobs that were all commission. I worked at a dealership before I moved to California. Uh-huh. Uh, and a lot of people looked at that as like, that's crazy. But I liked it because from an early age, I understood that if you go into something like sales, you can control your income more right. than just getting a nine to five and having a set amount of money that you make per hour. Yeah. So if I put in more work, I expect to get more out of it. And I know I'm willing to put in more work than most. So when you quit your job, what did you have in line before you did it? Or were you just like, I need to go and do it? Man, it's, it's crazy. When I quit my job, it, it, I kind of put myself in a position where I had to. But I do this a lot with myself. Like uh-huh. I, I try to force myself into positions where I have to elevate. So with my job, I was working my job and I had a side hustle, which was the rental cars. Mm-hmm. And as the rental car started to grow, you know, I had seven cars, eight cars. Like now it's starting to take up more of my time. This is before I you know, automated a lot of things, too. Yeah. So as I was doing that, it was taking time away from my job, but I was working from home. So, okay. so I was able to juggle both of them. So I'm working from home, doing sales and consulting on the mm-hmm. phone all day. But if I need to, I can stop and go prep a car for a renter that's picking it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you kind of had that advantage. Now, mm-hmm. what would you say somebody should do if they're like, I'm, I have my side hustle. At what point should they make the jump to going full time in it? Because you said that you started making more on your side hustle and then you like put more time and energy into right. it. At what point? Do they know that they should make the yeah, jump? And that's a great question because that was a question I used to Google. I used to look up when is a good time to leave your job uh-huh. to take your side hustle more serious. And there's never one right answer to that. Mm. But there's still some things you have to consider that can make you make a better decision. So right. for me, my side hustle uh-huh. was making the same amount of money as my main job uh-huh. at the time that I quit. 
Now, it was still riskier because it could. I was in the high season, too. So, you know, March through October yeah. was the peak. But I understood the automotive industry because I was already working in the automotive industry. Almost anything automotive is going to be slow in the wintertime or around the holidays. Uh-huh. So I know that I'm in the high season right now when I'm quitting, but I also knew I had a good six-month run to really ramp it up before the next slow season. Yeah. So I'm taking all this into account before I take that next up. And I yeah. also had um, hired mentors that were doing more than me. They were ahead of me that I knew I could follow in their footsteps. Yeah. So as soon as I did that and I had three to six months emergency fund, that's another key point. Uh-huh. That's when I made that jump. Okay. So, so those are definitely some good points. Now you spoke about mentors and I'm huge on mentors because like I told you, I, I haven't been to college. I was decent in, uh, in high school as far as my grades. But when I, as soon as I graduated, I was looking for mentors. I was like, who is living the life that I want to live doing the kind of stuff that I, I want to do that. and how can I get access to what it is that they know? How important was mentorship to you when you first got started? Well, when I first got started, I didn't have any mentors. None. Well, I, I'll rephrase that. Uh-huh. I didn't have any that I paid for okay. when I first got started. But this is a hack that everyone can use here is when you first start, if you don't have money to pay for mentors, you can just follow the people that are living the ideal life that you want to live. So most in most cases, entrepreneurs will give you the game at a certain level of their journey. Right. Just like I'm doing now on social media. I give away so many free gems, a free game all the right. time. I found people that were ahead of me. I followed them on Instagram, on Facebook, on mm-hmm. YouTube. I bought all their books. You know, so you do have to spend a little money on the book. Yeah. But I just 20, soaked up. 20 $30. Yeah, it's cheap. And I soaked it up. So I had mentors that didn't even know they were my mentors at the time. Yeah. And that was key to getting me to where I am now. Yeah. And what was your first... Cause I remember my first paid course and I got burned on it. I was like, this is not a good course. Yeah, yeah. I ended up spending like, I think it was like $700. It took me a while to save that money. But at that point I wasn't like all courses are a scam. I was like, this course just wasn't a good course. What was your first paid course or mentorship? Man. So I had a different experience than you. I, I got burned too. But uh-huh. I, it, once I got burned, I thought all courses were like not worth it. Like, mm. cause I went through this. I had paid thousands for real estate courses. Ooh. I got into real estate. So I was that's one where they really burn people. Yeah, bro. I, and I didn't know. Like, so I, I got into it. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to follow their proven strategies. I'm going to get into real estate, do some house flipping to build some cash flow uh-huh. and then put it into long-term investments. But um, long story short, man, I crashed and burned with that bad. So that was my first huge failure that uh-huh. I had, um, which I think is important. Yeah, I think it's important too. Yeah, because it, it put perspective in my mind on what it really takes. Yeah. And then that delusion of I'm just going to be successful just by doing the bare minimum or doing the, the steps that I see. Yeah, I'm just going to take yeah. this three-step strategy and I'm going to be rich. Because that's kind of how they yep. how they frame it and how they sell it to you. Exactly. But there is still a lot of other things that – you need to learn. Like when I first started buying courses, they gave me the foundation, but now I need to learn how to write email copy. Now Mm -hmm. I need to learn how to do, uh, how to manage people. There's certain things that you have to fill in the gaps for with a lot of these courses. And they don't kind of mention that. Now, do you remember how you bounced back from it mentally? Because you said that at that point you thought all courses were a scam. Right. How did you bounce back? It was a long process. Uh And I, I got into a real low place. Like I had felt 
borderline depressed. Uh-huh. Like I lost a lot of money for myself and for partners that invested in projects with me. Yeah. So it was tough, Ooh. man. So over the next two and a half years, uh-huh. that's really where my, my new growth started that kind of sprung into, or not kind of actually sprung into what yeah. I'm doing now. And for the next two and a half years, I tried to break it down to the basics. I read a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. Okay. And this I'm was familiar at, with that book. This was at my low point, right? So I read that book and it really stuck with me, the, the rules of gold. Like there's like the seven laws of gold. Uh-huh. And one of them said that you should save at least 10% of all your income. That's like the pay yourself first thing, right? Pay yourself first. Yep. Right. So this is one of those things I talked about earlier. No, everyone sees the end goal or end product of what I'm doing now, but no one wants to do what I do. This is one of the things that I did. Uh-huh. So over two and a half years, I literally took 10% of my paycheck and just put it aside without touching it. Mm-hmm. So and this was for an emergency fund, but also for investment. I didn't want to touch it until I knew what I invested in. At the time, I didn't know. And that's okay. I want people to know that like, if you're saving money, most people won't save money because they don't know what the end goal is. The end goal could just be, at one point, you're going to invest in something that's going to change your entire life. Yeah, it could, the opportunity can come, and it's better if it you're can, ready. you got to be ready for it. So I did that for two and a half years, and I ended up buying a car, all-black Mustang GT. Mm-hmm. And the company I was working for, helping detail companies grow, right? I uh-huh. bought my GT, and I had ceramic-coated the car. So I detailed it, ceramic-coated it's like a protection for the paint. Uh-huh. And I drove that car around Vegas and advertised our products. And I sold those products that way. And I was in sales still. But before I was about to sell that car, uh-huh. I decided to go ahead and give it a shot and try it on Turo. And that's how I got my, my start. So okay. I bought that car as an investment to advertise, but it ended up being an investment for my rental car business as well. Yeah, so that's how you end up getting your first car. Yep. So after that, what kind of mentorships or courses were you looking to get into after that? Did you do anything or are you just stacking your bread? Yeah. At that time I was just stacking money. Like I, I, I got into it. It started to build. I was watching YouTube videos uh-huh. of other people that were successful in it. Um, and then I, I still kept the same principle of saving at least 10% of all my day job income. And I was taking care of my living ex- expenses too. Uh-huh. Cause they were pretty low. Um, but the money I was making from the cars, I didn't spend a dime of it from the Mustang. Uh-huh. Instead, I just put that money plus the 10% from my job into the same bank account that I wasn't touching. Mm. So then I did that for two years and I just kept snowballing and buying more and more cars cash to the point where I had seven or eight cars cash. And then I had more meat on the bone, you know, to actually leave my job. Yeah. So you got the Mustang. When do you say, I'm going to go ahead and get the second car cash? So what kind of car was it? So, so this is where I believe a lot of people give up, right? Because when you start, I started, I had that Mustang running out for probably 10 months or more before uh-huh. I bought that second car. So this is like compounding. I read a, a book that I could recommend. It's called The Compound Effect. So just that one Mustang. Right, just that one Mustang I had for probably 10 months. Uh-huh. And it's because I had to wait so long to have enough money to comfortably buy another car cash while keeping you know at least a little bit of emergency fund on the side just in case something happens to a car. Right. So... So with the compounding, it, it builds up so fast, you know, so slow in the beginning. But once I got that second car, now my income just doubled. Mm. So then I'm able to go, you know, maybe six months before I buy my next car instead of 10 months. So then I buy my third car, then my fourth and my fifth. 
And it, it's crazy how that works. But like I said, with like Albert Einstein, what's the famous quote they say? He said that um, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Mm. He who understands it earns it. He, he who doesn't pays it. Oh. So I understood. Now, I don't understand the exact math of what the number is going to come out to be, but I knew if I kept putting my money back into itself, yeah, I will be way further ahead. Absolutely. Way faster. So yeah. it took you about, so in that timeline, maybe like a year and a half to buy those two other cars. Right. When yep. do you start? Because we, we spoke about other people's cars. You call it o mm -hmm. OPC? Yep. At what point do you start bringing in other people into this business? So it was... I started bringing other people in and taking their cars as investments after I had bought a bunch of cars cash myself. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I started using my own credit. I was afraid of credit because I had messed up my credit through that real estate thing I went through. Mm -hmm. So once I got beyond that, actually a mentor told me, Ryan Pineda, shout out to him. He had like, man, you got to get get over that. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. Use so I got over that and I actually used my personal credit to buy my next car actually my next few cars. And then that's when I started building my business credit. Then I used business credit and then I started using OPC or it was probably around the same time with the business credit and OPC. So you have the business credit, your personal, the OPC. Let's talk a little bit about the rental car credit. How does that work? And oh yeah. What is that? Oh yeah. That, that came after the business credit too. So, so I have a rental car floor plan, uh, which is actually one of the only true financing that you're supposed to use if you're renting the cars out. Uh -huh. So I know a lot of people on the platforms, you know, they have personally financed cars on Turo, yeah. they have business financed cars on Turo. Uh, and it's because you can get cars easy that way. But if you look at your contract, you're actually not allowed to sublease that car, which is what you're doing. You're renting it out. So, you know, not saying that they can't do that because they are doing it. But right. the, the true financing is a rental car floor plan, which is a line of credit, almost like a credit card uh -huh. that a company will extend to your business to go out and buy as many cars as you want within that credit limit. So this is the same thing that big companies like Hertz or Enterprise use. Yeah. Dealerships have floor plans, too. So I don't want that to get confused with this. There's a dealer floor plan and there's a rental car floor plan, two different things. Uh -huh. So. I had did all the things to set myself up to get approved for it, which was maybe a four to six month process. You got to get a building, you got to have a location. Yeah, yeah, break that down. We got time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. So, so if you guys want to get into it, um, you, you definitely have to have a location. It has uh -huh. to have a certain amount of parking at that location. Is it five spots? It's different for every county and every state. Uh -huh. So they have to look it up in their own area to see. And some of these things that I'm telling you, they're for Las Vegas, so you have to look in your own city to so know. So they can just check with their secretary of state, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you have to do that. You have to have your business, your LLC, mm -hmm. but then you have to apply for um, your local rental car license in your city. Uh -huh. and that's after you have the main LLC. Yeah. So most people stop right there at the main LLC. So you have to actually get the rental car license, and then you can take it a step further and get the license from the DMV also, which allows you to go to auction. Mm. Um, but that's up to you if you take it that far. Yeah. So, but the only reason I did this and went through this process was to qualify for the funding. Yeah. I don't have any aspirations of being, you know, a Hertz or enterprise, mm -hmm. even though I see that their financing is great. So I'm like, okay, let me go ahead and get the same financing they have. Wow. Operating a different at a way. different level. Yeah. Different level and just a different way. Yeah. Altogether. Because when you're dealing with like enterprise and Hertz, these are like massive companies, but how, how small or large do you keep your team and staff and how do you go about operating? Oh man, I'm going to, I'm, I plan to grow it as big as I can, but right now, uh -huh. um, I have mainly three main key players, myself, 
uh, my detailer, and then my wife who does all the accounting on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're adding more cars and then fine tune uh, the process as we go. Um, but the main thing is all of my cars that I rent out right now uh-huh. are rented through Turo. Why? And, you know, I've been through Hire Car. I've used them. I have accounts with the Veil. I have other accounts. Also, yeah. I'm set up as a rental car agency, so I can do private rentals if I want to. Right. I choose not to, though. Why not? I, I choose not to do these other platforms or private rentals because mm-hmm. of all the benefits that come along with using Turo. I fully believe that right now is the golden era for using Turo to grow a car rental fleet. Why do you think that? I think that because they offer you so much, uh-huh. so much help. They, they really should charge more for what they're giving us. Because if you mm. think about it, a rental car agency, uh-huh. right, they're going to have, they have to ha- do all the marketing themselves. So they have to bring the customers in, right? Yeah. They have to have their own commercial insurance. Now, you also have to have roadside assistance if a car breaks down on the road. Right. You have to do all these things and have that. And you also have to, you know, repo cars. So if your car goes up missing, you have to have something in place to go and repo those cars. And Turo does that for you? It does everything. It does everything. So and what what's the splits looking like? So you can be on what most people start with, like a 60-40, where Turo makes 40%, you make 60%. I would never do that. <laughs> with, with my cars, I'm on the 90 plan. Uh-huh. So I make 90% and Turo makes 10%. So what does Turo do for you? Because I'm sure the more you give them, the more they offer you, right? No. No, no, no. Well, you get so what's all the point? you get all the same benefits, but your deductible is different. So that, oh. that, that's where it's different. So on the sixty plan, zero deductible. Okay. Accident happens, you pay nothing out of pocket. You get paid reimbursed. Mm. On my plan, and it's a range between the sixty and the ninety. But my plan is a twenty five hundred dollar deductible. So if someone crashes my car, it costs a thousand dollars to fix it because the damage is bad. I have to pay that thousand because uh-huh. they won't pay anything until twenty five hundred is taken care of by me first. When you say taken care of by me, so it's a thousand dollar damage. Mm-hmm. So they're only gonna cover something if it's twenty five and twenty five hundred and up. They're they're only gonna cover above twenty five hundred. So if it comes back and it's you know thirty five hundred in damage, they'll cover a thousand dollars, but I have to cover the first twenty five hundred. Okay. But I'm comfortable with that because I've learned a lot more about the insurance process. Mm-hmm. And I also have enough cars to where I can absorb that. So I, I recommend everyone do the math. I don't recommend the 90 plan for someone that's brand new to Turo. If uh-huh. you only have one, two cars, three cars. Yeah, that can, that can hit. It can hit hard. So you get one accident, it could put you out of business yeah. at that level. But once you start to scale and you get more cars, I think I got around 12 cars. Mm-hmm. I did the math from going from the 75 plan to the 90 plan, which... You know, jumped my deductible from two fifty to twenty five hundred. Big uh-huh. jump, so big risk I'm taking on now. Right, extra zero. Right, exactly. But I did the math, and what I realized is that each month, by switching those plans, I can make about that same amount of deductible extra in my business. And then there might not be an accident. And there might not be. And based on historical data of my business, I know there's not an accident every single month. So I know I'm going to come out ahead. And plus, every accident is not going to be 2500 An accident might be 500 Right. So I knew, based on the math, that it was time for me to go to that 90 plant. And yeah. then I was further ahead because I'm good with money. So I'm good with having an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. I can pay something if it happens and still be positive. Right. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that interests me is the, the OPC, other people's cars. What does the pitch sound like to someone who wants to get involved or 
who may have extra cars. Yeah, man. So OPC definitely changed the game. And, you know, I, I saw other people doing this, too, before I did. And I had people asking me to take their cars when I still had my job and I was turning them down. So it's because uh -huh. I didn't have time. And plus, oh, okay. I wasn't fully comfortable with it. So this is a great way for any car rental host to increase your income without having to spend any of your own money uh -huh. or your own credit on adding cars. So, so to pitch it to people that have cars that uh -huh. you want to bring into your fleet, there's a couple of key things you want to present to them and say right away. One, they want to know how much they're going to make. Right. They're also going to want to know how the process works. So I break all that down. Okay, this is an average of what you could make, and I show them real examples based on my fleet, based on cars that are similar to theirs. Mm -hmm. So you want to show them that, and then you also want to have an investor packet. So this is one of the things I learned from real estate, even though, like I said, it was one of those situations where I did really terrible flipping houses. I wasn't good at it, uh -huh. but I learned a lot for business that yeah. I carried over. So in real estate, when we were flipping houses, we would have investor packets to pitch other investors to invest money into our projects. And that investor package had to be precise and it had to say exactly what the returns would be. You uh -huh. want to just make it really appealing and straight to the point because no one wants to read a whole essay. Right. So one to two pages max. I did the same thing for the cars. I put an investor packet together at the top. How does this work? This is my pro, you know, my process. You get, we do a 60, 40 split on these type of cars, 70, 30 on these type of cars. Mm -hmm. How much do I make? This is how much you make. And I did it. And then I also put pictures in there to show them some of the cars, some of the graphs, some of the earnings, showing them how I'm scaling a car from making 600 a month up to 1400 a month. Just showing them that in that investor packet is, is really key. Okay. So having the investor packet, how do you find these people? Are you just posting on social media? Are you reaching out to friends and family members? So that, that's a great question. So to find people that are potential partners to add you know, OPC, other people's cars to your fleet, um, what you need to do is, one, definitely social media is killing it right now. Like that changed the game for me. I uh -huh. post all the time, Instagram, TikTok. Mm. Even when I didn't really get many likes, just because I was talking about what I was doing, people showed interest. Yeah. So that's one thing. But the other thing is don't be afraid to tell anybody and everybody what you do in person. So when you're in person and people ask about, you know, what you do for a living or, you know, it just comes up in conversation, I tell everybody. Even when I go to my mechanic shop before I build good relationships, I would uh -huh. walk in and, hey, I have a rental car fleet. This is what I do. As soon as I see that they spark interest in what I'm doing, I tell them how I can help them do it. And that's by adding cars to my fleet. Hey, did you, by the way, I also take other people's cars. So if you're interested in it, you can just reach out to me and you have a passive investment now. Uh-huh. And that, that charger that you had the challenger challenger the challenger yeah. was that was that your car or was that uh it was that yeah. was your car mm -hmm. now tell us because that's people would look at that as a horror story right. like a turtle car horror, horror story somebody crashed your charger you said that was your dream car because i was going through yeah. your instagram before we uh before we hopped on you said that was your dream car the right. challenger right yeah, yeah so i have a bunch of dream cars and i always get comments about this when people will see my videos and be like oh why is that your dream car and then the corvette ca how is that your dream car so i'm a car guy yeah, like I, I've me always loved cars. I had all the posters on my wall, all the cars as a kid. Um, but I do my dream cars in tiers. So mm. I have different cars that I have on my list that I need to check off. So I worked at a dealership uh, dealership in 2013. They had the Challenger Super B on the lot. Uh -huh. Fell in love with it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need one of these. Added to the list. Dream car. Got to get it. So the Super B became the um, Scat Pack. That's okay. basically what it became. 
So I ended up getting it and it was great. Like, you know, that high feeling when you finally reached a, a level and got something that you've been working towards. So yeah, that's a crazy feeling, crazy feeling. So that was like one of the main ones. So I got that car and, you know, me being an entrepreneur already, already having the Turo business going, I was, I was thinking, okay, I'm just going to rent this car out and other people are going to pay my car note for me. Mm-hmm. So instead of me coming out of pocket, guess what? It's going to pay for itself. Now I got a car that I can drive for free that I love. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit, it gets wrecked. They, they how how long? How long did you have it? Um, Man, I think somewhere between six and nine months. Okay. It, it wasn't a full year for okay, sure. Okay, so you had a little bit of time with it. Yeah, yeah, I had a little bit of time. I thought it was like a week oh. after. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was at least a, a half a year at least. Uh-huh. So, man, I, I had it. I was enjoying it. And then someone rented it. It was already a little fishy. I didn't know about screening certain renters at that time. So an older woman actually rented it. And I'm like, this is weird. But her son was with her. I was like, well, she's driving it. Oh, no, it's just her. All the red flags were there, though. Like, he was going to be driving the car. So uh-huh. long story short, he was the one driving the car. I was getting alerts on my phone about the speeding, hard braking, hard accelerations. And, and then he crashes it. <laughs> and how did you go about or what did you need to file the claim? Man, so so this video, and I, I have videos on this, too, by the way. If anyone goes to my page at West Coast Dave on Instagram or yeah, TikTok. Yeah, we'll link all that stuff down yeah, below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this video did, like, millions of views on this one, right? Um, but, man, I'm just trying to think of how it went with the insurance. So, Uh-huh. Because I know it was, it was probably <laughs> complicated because she rented the car, right? Yeah. But he was driving it. Was he not of age to rent? No, he probably just couldn't qualify or got denied for Turo or something like that. Oh, so okay. Yeah, someone else rented. Yeah, but I just ran the insurance through Turo, and, and Turo paid me out um, the full value of the car. And this is where it really gets crazy. I always say you make your money when you buy the car. So, you know, most people don't even look at what they're buying the car. They don't look at comps. Another thing from the real estate world, I always yeah. learn to look at, you know, three comparable homes, three comparable cars is what I do now. Yeah. So I realized where we live in Las Vegas, the scat packs at the time were going for about 40000 for the year mm-hmm. that I had and the year of mileage. I looked in other states, uh-huh. and I found one in California, clean title for 31000 plus mm-hmm. tax. It was like thirty three out the door. Uh-huh. I bought my car and had them delivered from California, so I had instant equity in the car. Yeah. So when they crashed it and wrecked it, I got paid like forty one, forty two thousand, 42000 based on Las Vegas comps. That's oh, what Turo does. Okay, based on your area. Right. So so I got paid the full value of the car, mm-hmm. which means I paid off the rest of the loan that I had. Yeah. And I had extra money in my pocket to go towards investing back into the business. Yeah, that, dude, that's dope. I love mm-hmm. that. Did you, when when did you get the C8? Because I think I saw two of them Yeah. Well, there. Are those both yours? No, no, that's just my, one One is mine outside. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy you saw that though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, whoa, he pulled up in two different ones? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I got the C8. So when that Challenger crashed, I had already had my C8 order. I pre-ordered my C8, mm-hmm. and I pre-ordered it to put it on my Turo fleet. Mm-hmm. But once the Challenger got crashed, like, I reevaluated everything. Like, it, the whole time that car was being rented, that was my most problem car. That one and then my Mustang that I had, all the sports cars. Just because of the nature of the people that want to drive it, right? Exactly. So there's ways that you can be successful with sports cars. For me, I didn't want to deal with all the accidents and issues that always go on with sports cars. Every time they came back, the wheels were curb rashed. People Mm -hmm. always speeding, come back with little minor damages all the time, way more claims with those. So I decided that I was going to keep my sports cars to myself Mm. and instead buy more economy cars to 
one, make money with, but also to cover the payment on my car. That's the blueprint. That's the blueprint now. Wow. Yep. So you, what car, what, what economy cars make you the most money if you know off the top of your head? Man, all of them. So, so economy cars, if someone's looking for economy cars, I, I highly recommend you set that as the foundation for your business if you're just now starting out. Now, there's some people that have you know millions of dollars already. This isn't advice for you. This is advice for like the average yeah, Joe. That, that just wants to get started. That just wants to get started and wants the safest route to really build this cash long term. So the economy cars, any four door economy car that's good on gas is pretty much going to be rented all the time. Mm. So so with that being said, there's are there are some that outshine others you know like a nissan versa might have transmission issues whereas a toyota corolla is going to last a lot longer they're known more for reliability yeah so and that kind of segues into my next question about screening the the renters how do you go about doing that so you don't end up in that situation with the challenger man so now i actually don't need to because i'm not renting cars like that so I, uh-huh. I, I still, you know, screen a little bit, but most of my cars are on automatic booking so that someone could just book it automatically. Uh-huh. But I know they're the type of cars that someone's not taking out to go. Flex and, or go. Yeah, flex, try to do burnouts. Like I had one <laughs> yeah. time with the Challenger, go out and do burnouts and just bought the, brought the tires back bald on it with damage to the drive shaft and everything. Like he just went crazy. This was before it got wrecked. <laughs> so, And for the tire situation, do you have one of those tread depth checkers? Do you, right. How do you go about making sure the tires are in good standing yes. each time you rent it out? So, so again, I really don't have to do any of this anymore. I do it, but it's not as much of a concern because uh-huh. my cars are all economy cars, luxury cars, like high-end luxury cars, and SUVs. Okay. These are usually like tourists that come in. They just you know need a car from A to B, or they want to drive something nice. But uh-huh. It's not something that they're going to go out and burn the tires. But right. basically what you do is you take the tread depth reader, you put it on a tire, you take a picture and upload that to Turo, and then uh-huh. it's all documented. Okay, okay. And you mentioned, because every time I, I'm asking you a question, you're like, man, I don't even do that no more. Yeah. <laughs> How did you, what was the first step in automating it? And Who did you hire first? Like automating the business? Yeah. Oh, man. So this is good. So once I got to, I think, maybe nine cars, uh-huh. I realized that this was a lot of work. Yeah. Like it's not passive. Like this is an active business. Uh-huh. But there's things that you can do to make it more passive than what it is. So it can be less active in it. So what I started to do, the first thing I did was automate my messages. Uh-huh. So the met, this is before Turo had that option. So I found software that was able to automate my messages that were sent to the renters. Mm-hmm. So when they book a car with me, they would immediately get a welcome message mm-hmm. with all the instructions on what they needed to know to pick up the car. What's the name of the software? That's um, CarSync. CarSync.io. Okay. For people that are interested in getting that. So I actually just got a message earlier. I did a consulting call with somebody. Uh-huh. And he says, yo, that software... Literally just saved me a bunch of time or two days. I spent two days trying to figure this out. So I saved him a bunch of time, made it more okay. passive for him. So yeah. Automating the messages. <laughs> then what did you automate? Yeah. So after automating the messages, I stopped meeting with my renters in person. Oh, I know this one is huge. How did you go about doing it? Yep. So, so what I, there's multiple ways to do it. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's a lock bi- uh, lockbox method, which is what I do. Lockboxes on the window with the keys. You also can use Turo Go if your car qualifies. Um, or you can obviously hire someone and just have them do it. But uh, for me, the lockboxes were great because it allowed me to park the cars, put the lockbox on, put the code in, put the key in there, and then they could just pick up the car without me being there. Yeah, I know that saves you a lot of time. 
because the labor of oh, yeah. meeting the guests, delivering the cars, right. that could be massive. Is there anything else that's taking up a lot of time? I know you mentioned deliveries you have a, de- too. a detailer. I have a detailer. I don't do any deliveries, um, automate my messages. So a lot of the things that most hosts have to do, I don't do any of those. Do you do free delivery on the cars? I don't do any delivery. At, so all pickup? All pickup. At what point do you expand into the other businesses like the Airbnbs and do you, do you sell like products online as I do. well? Yeah, yeah. So I got into digital products, uh-huh. um, which I hired a mentor for that too. And that really helped me get that up and going. Who mentored you for that? Um, Mitch, Pushman Mitch. Okay. Yeah, that's my uh, guy right there. I don't yeah. know if you know him. He's, he's, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, big in the rental car space too. Uh-huh. So shout out to you, bro. Uh, I, I seen him on the Social Proof podcast. Right. I think, yep. Yep, yep, yep. So he helped me get into that. Um, but then, yeah, I got into Airbnb as well um, because I was doing meetups here in Las Vegas. And it was Turo meetups. Then it turned into Turo Flash Airbnb host meetups. Uh-huh. And it was really a networking type of thing. So we can all connect. And um, and that's how I met my guy over here. Uh-huh. And he was already in Airbnb. And I was like, man, well, what can we do? How can we put something together? And then I just ended up investing into a couple Airbnbs with him. So that's more of a passive investment for me. Yeah, so it sounds like you should network even if people are in that same space, what kind of connections are you making oh, at, those sure. kind of ne- at those kind of networking groups? Yeah, yeah you definitely have to network. I know some people get into business and then they kind of get sheltered and don't want to talk to anybody else. They look at everyone as competition. Yeah. Um, but that's not what we do. You know, from, you know, just connecting with people, we realize right away that we're stronger together. So we can come together and bounce ideas. It's like a mastermind. Mm. Like everyone can grow. We can, there's enough business out here for all of us. Yeah, there's so many people renting cars, especially in Las Vegas. Exactly. There's 4,000 cars in Vegas, just on Turo. So imagine how many rental cars, the rental car agencies. Private we got Hertz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we got all these massive cars. At the airport, there's so 10 different people, booths. So many people fly in. There's hundreds of thousands of people flying in like every month, if, if not more. So, like I said, it's enough business for all of us. So, connecting has definitely helped me get to the next level by just connecting with more like-minded people. Yeah, and the first Airbnb, how did you go about getting that? Because I know it's a, it's an interesting game, especially out here in Las Vegas. Yeah, Las Vegas has some crazy rules, but that's the beauty of it because I'm so hyper-focused on my rental business. Uh-huh. I didn't want to get too involved. I knew I had a host that already had everything established and yeah. had multiple Airbnbs. So, I'm like, okay, I can invest – but I can't be part of the day-to-day. I just don't have time. Yeah, you, you got okay. the Turo business. And mm-hmm. what what's the future looking like? Like for your rental car business, for your social media, where is it that you want to be? Man, so my, my next step right now, I have 30-something cars. I want to grow that to 100 uh-huh. and then build out a team to where I'm able to employ more people and help them out. So um, I, I love that I have the opportunity to actually hire people Yeah, because everyone that I've hired so far, I've helped them in more than just, you know, getting a paycheck. Yeah. And I just really want to give back. Like they're usually at levels where they get into this, they might be, you know, starting a side hustle or they want to learn how to, you know, build more long-term wealth. Uh-huh. And I can tell them the things that I've, I've already been through that can help them out yeah. as far as setting up the right entities, how to start their own side hustle and do things the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience, man? I thought this episode was great. Me personally, I'm going to be using a lot of the information, like using the economy cars, because I recently picked up one of my own for focuses. Oh, there you go. Because of the interview that I did before with uh, the Turo Goat. Yeah, my guy. Yeah, so that's that method, because I want to drive, like you said, I'm a car guy too. Yep. So using that method, that's gems for me. So I really do appreciate this, brother. Yeah, that's the way, man. I always say, too, if you have a personal car, you're thinking about using Turo, you can do it to test it. 
Um, but don't rent out your personal car for long, if you do it at all, because you're going to be attached to it. Every time it comes back, you're going to be upset. Instead, use that blueprint, get another car, assign that car to the car that you want to drive. Yeah, and absolutely. It's, it's the new rich, man. I use my Airbnbs to pay my rent where I live. Mm. I use my cars to pay for the cars I drive, you know, and then I reinvest any profits that I have. Man, this is that's a huge play. Well, you guys heard it from West Coast. Dave, do you have anything else before we wrap up, man? That's about it, man. Make sure y'all check me out. If you have other questions about anything that I talked about today, make sure to um, just send me a message on Instagram at West Coast Dave. I'm also on TikTok at the same at name. We're going to drop all of his socials and the links for everything. You have uh, like an ebook or yeah, a, have, a product? I have everything, man. So I have ebooks. I have startup guides. Um, if you guys want to get into Turo, uh-huh. also offer uh, mentorships with it as well. So if anyone's interested in that, uh, that's a reach out. I don't push it as much because I'm hyper focused on oh, growing what my you're business. Doing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't accept every client for that, but when I see that I have openings and I have time, I'll, I'll accept them every now and then. Okay, so we'll drop all the links for that stuff right down below. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode, and I will I will see you guys on the next one. Peace. <laughs>